So um, our reading this morning is Luke 11, verses 14 uh, to 22. Luke 11, 14 to 22. Jesus and Beelzebub. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. We are going to look at the Bible now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and just ask that God will bring light from his word to us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has stood the test of time. We thank you that it is testimony to the lives of so many other people who have walked our journey of faith before us, and it has been a light and a guide to many more still. And today, Lord, we open our Bibles and we ask that you will teach us. We ask that your spirit will shed light, not only upon your word, but upon our lives and upon the world around us so that we will better follow you in the ways of your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at that passage that Adrian very kindly read for us just now. So it's Luke 11, verses 14 to 28. <clears throat> now, whatever you make of talk about the devil and demons, uh, and, you know, people have very different views on that. But whatever you make of it, most of us know the reality of evil in the world. And I think really that's the most important point. Even even for those who are quite skeptical, skeptical about things such as the demonic, uh, the word evil has a meaning and it refers to something very real. You know, there are some things in the world that simply should not be. There is no defense for, for them. Uh, there is no redeeming good in them. There are evils. There are disasters, for example, that claim thousands upon thousands of lives. There are, have been and are abusive regimes that oppress millions of people. People are trafficked in our world. People are tortured, victimized, abused, and even murdered. There have been lynchings in our histories. There have been genocides. There have been mass shootings, unjust wars claiming the lives of innocent people. Those kinds of things we describe as an evil. We name them as such. <clears throat> so no matter what you think about, you know, the devil and demons, 
I think all of us understand the meaning of that word evil. And therefore, the reason I'm saying that is that means that this passage in Luke 11 speaks to all of us in some way about the realities of the world that we know. But one of the first things this passage warns us against is misusing the vocabulary of evil. The word evil can too easily become a kind of tool that we just use when we want to condemn someone or or we throw this word at people that we don't like. As we say in English, in fact, interestingly, we say we demonize someone. You know, we don't just disagree with them. We label them as evil in some way, some kind of demonic danger. And that's exactly what Jesus's opponents did to him here in this passage. Jesus had healed a mute man. He had restored this man's ability to speak again. Luke describes it as Jesus casting out a mute demon from him. Now, clearly that was a good thing. This man would have found life extremely difficult, of course, but he would have also suffered a certain amount of social stigma uh, and shame would have been placed upon this man because of his disability. Because we know in those days, and sadly probably still today, some people see someone with something like that and assume they've done something wrong. They deserve it. So this man's life wasn't just inhibited physically, socially as well, he would have suffered. So Jesus was now restoring life and well-being to this person. He was taking away any sense of shame that others might have unfairly placed on him. Jesus in many ways was setting this man free. But because Jesus's opponents had already made up their minds to oppose Jesus, they slapped this label of demonic on what he was doing. They said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now the word Beelzebub means Lord of the flies. It was originally the name of a Canaanite god in the Old Testament, but by the time of the New Testament, it had become used also as a name for the devil or Satan. And that's, he's also referred to here, to here as the prince of demons. But Jesus's opponents actually weren't interested in the problem of evil in any genuine sense. They simply wanted to use this language of evil as a tool, as a label to throw at Jesus in order to get their way by destroying his reputation. Even though Jesus was quite clearly doing good. Now I think there's a stark warning there about the power of our minds when we're stubborn and when hatreds rise up that we would even call good evil if it serves our purposes at those times. That's a, there's a stark warning there about how, how deeply we can follow that path into the ridiculous. And that's what these people did here as they saw Jesus do good. They labeled him as evil. Now, in response, Jesus pointed out to them that there was absolutely no logic or reason in what they were saying. There was nothing logical, he says, about this conclusion that Jesus was of the devil. As he says, it would be like saying Satan is divided against himself. In reality, of course, they said it just to oppose him. Because as verse 23 tells us, they were against him. And it fed into, I think, their sense of we're right and Jesus is wrong. So they said he's evil. And I, and that thinking, by the way, you know, when we're convinced I'm right and they're wrong and we let it spill into their evil and I'm good, that's quite addictive. Do be careful. 
It is very addictive. If I can label those I disagree with or I dislike as evil, that can make me feel very superior, very super righteous. And we like feeling like that. So be very, very wary of it. Because that's the first warning from this passage. Don't use the vocabulary of evil just as a sort of tool to serve your own purpose or ego. Now we see that happening all over the place. We see it in the news media sometimes. We see it on social media a lot. We see it in politics and we see it in religion as well. Demonizing certain groups of people, sometimes the poor or the wealthy, the foreigner or the indigenous becomes the evil ones. Those on the left or those on the right, the conservatives or the liberals. Basically, anyone who's different and not one of us, not in our group or of our opinion, the danger is we'll start to call them evil or something. And it's really harmful because it dehumanizes people. It makes a mockery of something that actually affects every human being on the planet. And most importantly, evil is something that Jesus actually came to deliver us from. We pray that, don't we, in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Jesus came to do that for us, to rescue the world from evil. He did not come to sort of give us a license to throw the word around at each other. Because in actual fact, evil is something bigger than any one of us, and it harms us all. And that's where I wanted to come to verse 21. Uh, now, it was a very familiar fact in the first century in, in Palestine that the powerful, wealthy Roman rulers would continually, what they would do is they would continually siphon off goods and money from the, the people. And they would store it up for themselves, more and more and more for themselves, in their mansions or palaces in which they lived. And they would put those, that plunder that they'd taken from the people and stored up would be guarded under armed guard. And of course, what the oppressed people wanted and needed and hoped for was a stronger warrior to come along and defeat the tyrants and release that plunder back into the hands of the people from whom it was stolen. Now, Jesus here in verse 21 onwards uses that familiar reality that people in that day knew as a picture of what he was doing in coming to the world. So Jesus says he came to deliver us from evil, just like he was overpowering a strong man who had taken possession of a house or a palace and everything in it that they had taken and they were guarding it. Now, that's a picture, of course, of the world in the clutches of evil or under the power of the devil. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, uh, Jesus was in the wilderness, and we're told that the Satan, and the, and the word the Satan means the accuser or opposer or even stumbling block, uh, he tempts Jesus by showing him the kingdoms of the world, and he said, these are all mine to do whatever I want with. They belong to me. So again, the idea there is of the world in the clutches of evil. Jesus pictures it here in Luke 11 as a strong man armed, guarding his palace with his possessions. Sometimes it probably does feel like evil is running the show, like it's snatching up more and more. But within that picture, Jesus bursts into the palace, he says. In other words, Jesus came to the world and he says, by coming to the world to do all that he did, Jesus was entering in 
overpowering the strong man, uh, the devil, the adversary, the evil, and he was liberating the house, which is the world, and all its possessions, us and, and the life that God intends for us, he was liberating us and those blessings of God from, from evil's clutches. In other words, the coming of Jesus was the defeat of Satan, the defeat of evil, however you want to say it. Christ has changed stuff. He has, he has changed something, I believe, fundamental about this universe. He has bound up Satan. He is setting captives free, that's us, so that the world no longer needs to be in the clutches of evil. Evil is still a reality, yes, of course, but we now know how to be set free from it. And the victory is found in Jesus Christ. If we follow him, he leads us out of captivity and death into the freedom and life of God. Uh, one of the commentaries I read, Justo Gonzalez, uh, says it like this. He says, what scripture says is that evil exists, that there is true opposition to and rebellion against the will of God, but that in the end, God will overcome all the powers of evil. An important part of the gospel message is that Jesus has defeated the powers of evil and that in the end, his victory will become apparent to all of creation. So I, you know, that's about believing in the redemption of the world. We, we see Jesus doing this rescue mission, ultimately, of course, in his death and resurrection, which the church has always understood as being a, like a culmination of a battle between good and evil at the cross. And all the world's sin and evil was piled upon Jesus, including our own. <clears throat> and Jesus died under its weight. He died the same death we all die, the same evil that destroys so much of our life, Jesus died under it, and he exhausted its power, kind of like taking it with him and cancelling it out. Evil did its worst at the cross, but its worst was exhausted, and it was outdone when Jesus then rose again. It's a bit like, you know, think of the, the cross of resurrection, like the scene in a movie, and there's this kind of killer blow from the enemy and the hero falls and he seems dead. The hero seems lifeless on the ground and hope seems lost. That's a bit like the cross. But it was not the end. The credits don't roll yet on the gospel story. The hero moves and then rises to his feet. And instead, he deals the final blow to the enemy. That's the resurrection. You know, the hero has clutched victory from the jaws of defeat. The crowd, think about that crowd that saw Jesus die on the cross and we're told they beat their chests in sorrow at what they'd seen and then they walked away. It, they thought it was the end, but it was not the end. A couple of days later they looked for the body and Jesus was not there. The angels announced he's risen. The crucified one had in fact defeated death and he was alive. Hallelujah. So all of that evil, you know, think about that, all the evil, all the plotting, all the accusing, all the hatred, all the violence, all the evil that conspired to have God's son killed, and all our sin, and the world's sin, nailed to him to a cross. Darkness fell, we're told. And it must have seemed like evil had even overcome God at that point. But the victory of the resurrection 
is the kind of twist in the gospel story. The resurrection shows us that in fact, people have been outdone by the greater strength and wisdom of God. He took it all and then he raised Christ from the dead. Our sins are taken away now, yours. He's released us from the chains we know. He's disarmed, Colossians 2 says, like the cross disarms any other powers and the influence they may have over us. Even death, we're told, has now been swallowed up in Christ's victory. <clears throat> Listen to how uh, Hebrews chapter 2 says it. Um, Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We fear many things about death, um, not least that our own sin will lead to us being condemned. And as human beings, we find a million different ways, unsuccessfully, of trying to numb that fear or avoid that fear or throw that fear onto other people um, instead of ourselves. We, we do it so many different ways. But God sent his son Jesus to share our humanity, Hebrew says, to die our death so that the fear of death is no longer a thing of slavery to us, so that the fear of death is no longer driving us to condemn others because it makes us better. We don't need to do that anymore, like they did to Jesus. Nothing can hold us in slavery anymore. The devil cannot hold us in fear anymore because Christ has set us free. Romans 8 asks a series of questions and one of them is this, who is he who condemns you? And the answer is no one can because Christ has died, Romans says, even more, he's risen again. So think about Jesus' picture in Luke 11 here. You know, the strong man uh, holding everything captive in his house. Are there things for you, you know, blessings that God intends for you and for us to know and experience and enjoy, which instead have been taken captive from us or within us in our lives? Are there things that God means you to be blessed in and enjoy and know as his child that have become almost locked up and locked away? Jesus comes, he says, to bind up the captor instead and set you free. And he says he's going to give, he wants to give you the spoils of victory, the things that have been robbed from you by sin, by evil, by fear, by death. <clears throat> Jesus comes so that the treasure in the house, the blessings of God, can be received and lived in and enjoyed again to the glory of God. So ask God, ask Jesus into your life to do that, to set things right, to bind up which needs binding up, you know, the fears, to bind them up. They're holding you captive. Ask Jesus to instead bind those things up so that you're set free and to open the doors of all those blessings that God has given us, that we've, for whatever reason, have become shut away, locked up behind a key. Ask Jesus to open those things, that door, and allow you to live in the goodness of God more and more. You know, for some of us, that won't happen overnight. Some of you it will, I pray. But always keep asking Jesus 
you know, use that lovely picture he gives us. Come into our lives, bind up what needs binding up, and set free what needs setting free. Just imagine a life, not dif somebody spoke about this. I was, while I was off with COVID, I was listening to a few talks. And somebody said something like this, and, and it made me realize how much I needed to hear this. Imagine a life that is not defined by your fears, but by the love of God for you. Now, I know that's obvious in a way. Well, of course, that's what God wants. But as I heard a preacher say that, I thought, mm, how much am I still living defined by my fears instead of living my life defined by the love God has for me? That's what Jesus wants for you. He says in verses 23 to 26, you know, he kind of asks us, well, where are you in this picture of this house set free? He says, are you with me or against me? <clears throat> in verses 24 uh, to 26, he says, look, you need a, a new ruler in your life. It's not like you need just to empty the house. It's not a vacuum. If you leave, it, if you leave your life just a vacuum, he says, the evil will just come back in. All the old things will just start binding you again and tying you up. He says, I've come to set you free. I've set the strong man I've defeated the strong man, and he says, but follow me now, otherwise the old master will return. You know, read, read those verses later if you want, verses 24 to 26. In other words, he's saying, you need to follow me into this freedom. Don't, don't just leave the door open for the old fears and the old ways of thinking and living to return, the old evils. Don't let them back in. Keep following Jesus. Who's got the keys to our house, our lives? So who are we following? Is it Christ or something else? Now, there's a woman in the crowd. I'm just going to finish with this because I, I like this last bit and the last few verses of this, this passage. There's a woman in the crowd and she says, she says to Jesus, wow, your mother is so blessed to have you as her son. And Jesus says, this is not just about my mum. This is for you all, he says. If you will just hear and believe, what God's saying to you, blessed are all those, he says. You know, she says, blessed is your mother, you know, your mum who had you as a son. He says, blessed is anyone who hears the word of God and obeys it. It really makes me smile that bit. This woman is like us sometimes, where we see something so good, but we can't actually believe that I, I might have a part in that blessing as well. You know, oh, your mum must be so blessed, Jesus, she says. And he says, it's not just for my mother. It's for you as well. Just hear it and believe it. Believe in me, he says. You're invited into this victory as well. So whatever we make of the devil and demons, think about whether your life is still in the shackles of sin or fears or, or death itself. Shackles which Jesus has broken to set you free so that you can now live your life in the freedom of God's forgiveness, God's hope, God's new life, God's love. A life that will culminate in resurrection for us too, just as Jesus was raised. And ultimately a kingdom, the kingdom of God, which will mean a world where all the evil will be gone, death will be destroyed, and Christ's victory will fill everything forevermore.